My name is Ken. I'm an abstaining compulsive overeater. I've always called myself an overachiever with a fork. That's, that's what I did best. When I came here, it was 1978 in February. I was over 300 pounds. I'd been on diets all my life. I took pills. I took shots. I went to a hypnotist. I was doing the wrong thing. I found out later. I was trying to lose weight by treating my body. There was nothing wrong with my body. I don't think there's anything wrong with your bodies. The problem is up here. I had a head that would lead me to food to solve absolutely everything. When I was alone, when I was with people, it didn't matter. I wanted something within reach to chew on and swallow. Amazing. Today I do have an abstinence that's changed over the years. And I'll briefly describe it as saying I have three meals a day, nothing in between. I do not eat red meat, bread, or refined sugar. Otherwise, it has to be on a plate. And when the plate's empty, I'm done. And when I look at a lot of the plates I get put in front of me, I say, that's not enough. I still say that. It's my head talking. I'll tell you something. After all these years, my head still talks to me. But I don't listen anymore. Because it led me in all the wrong directions. I didn't know that there was a higher power in my life. I went to program only because I wanted to find out what it was about. So I could leave it. That's what he did. I'd hopscotch from one thing to another and never lost weight. I went to a meeting in Van Nuys. I sat down. I listened to people pitch and talk. I couldn't understand it. I said, you know, this, what does this have to do with losing weight? There's no nurse. There's no scale. There's no food additives that you're supposed to stay away from. They had a gray sheet. You looked at that and you said, my God, you can't eat that. That's, not, that's enough for just the morning. That's three times a day. So I decided I'd go back and do exactly what they say. And as soon as I can prove it won't work for me, I'm gone. So I went back a week later. Now, in this city, you can go to a meeting this afternoon. You can go tonight. You can go tomorrow three different times during the day. But my head said, no, I went on Tuesday night to Van Nuys. That's where I'll go. And I remember I didn't want to share that with my wife. I think I lied to her. I think I, was, I said I was going out to buy clothing. She didn't like to go with me to buy clothing. It was not a good experience. So, so I went to the meeting again, and I found you're supposed to get a sponsor. Uh, I can't talk to people about food. As a friend said just recently, talking about food or sharing myself with another person is like having sex in public. You know, I can't do that. But I said, I'm going to ask someone to show me what this is about. And I went up to a man who was a normal size. And I asked him, would you show me you know, how you do this program? He says, you want a sponsor? I said, OK, whatever it's supposed to be. We worked out that I call him every day, one day at a time at 730 in the morning. And he gave me some tough love. He said, Ken, if you put it in your mouth, put it in my ear. You could eat whatever you want, but I want to know exactly what's going in you. So I said, fine, that's fair. After three, and, and program was different in those days. You worked it for 21 days. That was a commitment. And after 21 days, you could fire your sponsor. Your sponsor could fire you or whatever. So after 21 days, I'm down 15, 16 pounds. This is saying, I don't need to drive to Van Nuys. I don't need him. I'll just write down what I'm eating. So I did. I put down 15, 16 pounds. I can't do this alone. 
if you learn how to do this alone, give me a call. I don't know how to do this alone. He was very loving and saying, Ken, you got to do this a day at a time. And by the way, you have to work the steps. That's where the recovery of the program is. It's a higher. He was right out in the open. He said, you must make the investment. It was only six dollars at the time to buy a big book. And I looked at it and I said, my God, six, six hundred and fifty pages and no pictures. This is what I need. <laughs> and he said, I'll tell you what to read and when to read. And then you'll tell me what you read. He knew me. He knew me. That's called practicing honesty. So I bought the big book and he sent me home and he said, you're going to work the steps. And I said, how do I do that? He said, well, you read step one then go to a meeting, raise your hand and say out loud, you're a compulsive overeater. It's the easiest step to work. And I remember that's what I did. I'm going to do this until it doesn't work for me or I'm sick and tired of it and then I'm gone. So I read step one. I went to a meeting. I raised my hand. And I remember my very first pitch at a meeting. That's all I remember. I said, uh, my name is Ken. I'm, an, I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, I eat at uh, various times during the day on special occasions. I eat when I'm angry. I eat when I'm tired. I eat when I'm alone. I eat when I'm with others. I eat when I'm horny. And I eat one other time when I'm awake. It was all true. It was all true. And I sat down. And he said, that's step one, Ken. You said it out loud. Now we know you and you know us. I had to go on to step two, where I sat down with him and discussed the fact that if there were a change in my life, could I believe there is a power greater than myself doing it? I said, of course. I'll believe anything. You know, I want to get rid of this weight. 300 pounds. Today I'm maintaining 140 pound weight loss. My weight jumps between 156 and 160. I don't have a number. I used to think you have to have a number. But people don't have a number. Statues have a number. They never change. We have a range. In the summer, when you're more active, you're swimming, you're bicycling, you're walking, your weight will drop a few pounds. In the winter, when you're staying home and it's dark at 4.30, and you have nothing to do and you're watching more TV, you'll put on three or four or five pounds. That's human. That's being human. I never could stand the change in a number. And now I can realize I'm human. And I thought about what a doctor told me once. He said, statues don't change. Who wants to be a statue? You know what birds do to them. <laughs> so I started the commitment of committing my food. I will say that today I do not commit my food on a daily basis. But I do commit if something is going to be different or out of place. Like we may go out to eat on a Saturday night with other people. And at an hour later than I usually eat, I usually eat at 6, 6.30. <coughs> and uh, I will call someone during the day and say, I'm going out to eat tonight. I'm going to have fish or seafood, super salad and no dessert. That's my commitment. Now when I go to the restaurant, I only have to look at the fish or seafood section. Not the whole damn thing. Because I used to just graze through a menu, wanting, you know, one dish after another. And I'll have my soup or my salad, my main course with vegetables, and no dessert or a beverage. And that's my life today. You know what? It's good. I still can't believe when I get on the scale and I sponsor ten people, seven men, three women, 
that we get on the scale once a month. On the first of the month is getting on the scale day. That's the only day we talk about a number. Other than that, we don't discuss numbers or weight. We discuss life. They're in contact with me on a daily basis, but we don't discuss weight. Because weight is a byproduct of what we're doing with our life. So I had to go on and work the steps. The third step was a mystery step to me. And I thought this would get me out of program because I read about it. And I went and I, I said right up front with not the best attitude. All right, show me how to find God. And my sponsor said, don't concentrate on finding God. Your job is to look for God. You look for God when you go to a meeting. You look for God when you open up a book with 650 pages and no pictures and you read a page and you feel better after you read the page. I'll give you some homework. Uh, I still use the third edition because that's what it was when I came in. I'm not sure if page 135 is in the fourth edition as the same page, but 135 is a one-page recovery page. It's a wonderful page to get recovery. If you want to try it when you get home, try 135. And it's got three little mottos at the bottom. Carry those mottos with you. They'll help you get through a day. So I started doing these things, and the weight started going down. I couldn't believe it. And I had to buy more clothing. I used to have a closet where my clothing was much larger than my wife's clothing in terms of space. Now it isn't. I have a section. And I'll wear last summer's clothing, some of it, this summer. It's amazing. I never had that stability in my life. I had to go on and write the fourth step, which is not a fun thing to do. It's not supposed to be fun. It's like getting an injection. You're going to feel better, but you have to go through it. So I wrote out my fourth step. It took me a while. I want to point out it took me close to two years to work all 12 steps. I was very slow. Two steps forward, one step back. That's my head. The letting go process is slow, but it is safe. And it leads you to recovery. Something I didn't have before. So I started writing. I didn't want to share what I wrote with my sponsor. He knew me too well. I went to a, a temple way up in the back end of the valley called Ramat Zion on a Thursday night. And I picked out a man I never saw before in my life. I said, I'm supposed to read you this stuff. He's all in inventory. I said, yes, I'm, uh, I want to give it away, whatever. He said, let's go down to my office. It was right down the street. So we went to his office. He said, Ken, start at the top and just read to the end. It was several pages. I did that. When I was done, I was ready for recrimination. I was ready for his... Uh, idea of what I should change, what I should do, or why I did this or that. And he simply, in those days, people smoked in their office. He had a huge ashtray. He took the ashtray, he took my inventory, he burned it. And then he threw it out. And he said, you know, it's not too late. You want to have a cup of coffee? I couldn't believe it. It's getting through. It's getting past. That's what we do here. We keep moving forward. If you stay in one spot, you're a much better target for everything. So I went on with the sixth step. I still have character defects. I try very hard not to exercise them. But I have them. I was born with them. Or they developed over the years. What can I do? So sometimes I open my mouth at the wrong time. And I say, you know, I'm, I'm truly sorry. 
And sometimes before it comes out, I bite my tongue. Because that's not what I want to be. I don't want to pay the price again. So I remember the character defects in steps six and seven. Making amends is not fun. Uh, there are a lot of people you cannot make amends to. Some of them have passed on. So someone asked me once, how do I make an amends to my sister? She's no longer here. I said, you're going to write her a letter. And he wrote her a letter. And he read me the letter and I burned it. And we moved on. We went out and had a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a great exercise in this program. So I stay in steps 10, 11, and 12 because they keep me well. My head still acts like a dog sometimes chasing his tail. I can't get rid of a thought. It's in there. It's driving me nuts. I'll have to call someone and say, hey, hey, you have a minute. Let me tell you what's running around in my head. And just lay it out, out loud. And these are people in program that say, thank you very much. And they may suggest something for me to read or do. And the conversation's over. Or I'll write it out as a 10th step. Uh, when I sponsor people and they reach step 10, I have an actual format. It's a sheet of paper with two sides. And you answer 10 questions with yeses and noes and a little description of what you may be thinking. And when you finish that paper, you call someone, you read it to them, destroy it, it's over. It may come back some other day. The whole point of our program is getting through the moment, getting through now. I have to get through today. Without today, I'm living in the past or the future. The future is never here. When I wake up Sunday, the future is Monday. They'll never get here. And the past is dead. There's nothing I can do to change it. I never knew these things. I did well in school, but they don't teach these things. They don't teach you how to live, how to eat. And doctors don't know anything about nutrition either, as far as I know. They say, eat less. What does that mean? So, I have a program I never had before. I didn't get it in grammar school, high school, or college. That taught me how to make a living and live and be with other people. But I wasn't with other people in a good situation. And today I am. I'm an addict when it comes to food. I still am. And my definition of an addict is a person who reaches for something physical to solve something emotional or spiritual. And I reached for food. It didn't matter what it was. It was in my car. It was in my office. It was at home. It was in my clothing. That's crazy. That is crazy. But I didn't think so. I just said to myself, you need it. You need it. That's this talking again and me listening. I'm not going to listen to this. I'd rather listen to one of you talk about anything than listen to myself. I was born with my head. I'm going to die a compulsive overeater, but I will not die from compulsive overeating. That's the difference. It's a big difference. I don't know what I would have done or if I would have come this far without program. I uh, suffered a cardiac arrest in 2003. And uh, if my wife wasn't with me, I'd have been gone. You have four minutes to be resuscitated. She called for help. Someone beat on my chest. I woke up six days later. We were in a restaurant. And I just ordered a chef salad for lunch. After a meeting on Saturday morning, after driving the freeway alone in a car. But what happened to me, that arrest, happened in the restaurant with my wife. 
It's God's will. So the doctor came over to me in the hospital, and it was a week later, and I'm lying there with tubes in my arm, and I'm saying, where am I? I just ordered lunch. <laughs> my head picked up exactly where I was before I went out. And if that's the way you go, it's not bad. But I woke up, and there I was in a bed, undressed, and uh, the doctor's there. And he said, uh, your wife told me about your weight situation. I said, yeah, I used to be over 300 pounds. And he said something amazing. He said, well, Ken, if you didn't have your weight off, you probably wouldn't have made it. Because CPR doesn't work on very heavy people. You can't press down. It doesn't get through. So what am I supposed to do? Say, thank you, doctor? I said, thank you, God. Because he brought me through it. The doctor did the mechanical things that were necessary, but God brought me through it. And I was so grateful. And I'm still here. So my first thought was, can it happen again? He said, highly unlikely. He said, I can't guarantee it, but highly unlikely. I never liked answers like that. I like an answer. I like a yes or a no. I could deal with yes or no. I could hate one of them and like the other. But highly unlikely, what, what does that mean? So I'm still here. I still have relationships with people like yourself. You are my best friends because we speak the same language. We go outside and talk to the people that are, I call them normal. They're normal. I'm very grateful to be married to a normal wife. My wife will eat something on her plate when she's done. It either gets thrown out or puts back in the refrigerator. That's normal. That's unbelievable. I can't believe it. <laughs> but that's the way she handles food. She's normal. So if I talk to normal people, they don't know what I'm talking about. We know what we're talking about. Because we're talking about ourselves, our feelings, our emotions, and what brought us here. And it doesn't matter what brought us here. A rough childhood, rough school, who knows what. Or maybe just the weight alone. It doesn't matter. That's who we were. This is who we are. And I have to keep moving forward. That's the direction in life. So, I really don't have too much more to say, except that I intend to be here as long as I can. Thank you. Because it's a good place for me. I have friends in different places. I go on a, uh, once in a while, a telephone meeting. They have a men's meeting on Sunday night on the phone. And they have uh, meetings every night at 6 o'clock on the phone. I'll go on there and I hear people that I've heard before and I feel I know them. And they're talking about things I identify with. That's amazing. And some of them say, hi, Ken, how have you been? And I'm not sure who they are. <laughs> but you know what? We really care about each other. That's the reason we all get up at 8 o'clock in the morning to get into this room at 8.45. And I'm lucky to be in Los Angeles. I took a business trip to Portland once and I had to spend overnight in Eugene, Oregon. And I looked up OA and it's in the book. And I called and I got a recording. Their meeting is on Thursday night. That's it. I was there on Monday or Tuesday. So I'm grateful I don't live in Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> I have access to meetings whenever I want them. My head says sometimes don't go. First thing I'll do is say I'm going to a meeting. I take alternative action. So I'd like to leave you. I leave uh, with uh, Proverbs that I picked up over the years. And this was said by a woman in uh, 
Florida and just stuck with me. The program has made me the person I was meant to be. Thank you very much for being here. This is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. I will try to rephrase the question if it's not heard clearly by everyone, and we will continue until 9.35 a.m. Is there anyone with a question? Yes. How transparent am I with program with outsiders? I don't discuss it with people in general. Uh, they wouldn't understand it, and this is not something you sell. If someone has a need for it, and I'll point out that I used to be over 300 pounds, and if they want to ask a question, I'll answer it. If they really are not interested, I can't pursue it with them. I can't sell this. But I'm always open to 12 steps someone if I see there's an opening. Can you talk a little about food and money? Like, you want to people and your point, dinner or lunch, and who pays? Who pays for dinner? It depends who, who we're with. I'm with other people. It depends how we got together. Uh, sometimes we invite people sometimes people invite us sometimes we just get together and we split a bill that's all but the one thing I don't take and I'm very black and white on is I won't take suggestions on what to eat and when people make the suggestion Ken, you got to try this it's really wonderful I say it is, it looks wonderful but I'm allergic to it I don't want to get involved more than that they won't understand anyway so we have conversation in other areas, but I don't discuss food with normal people because they don't understand what I'm talking about. And as far as treating people, uh, we agree on where to go. There are certain places someone might mention that we would not go to. I don't eat something like Thai food. I don't like highly spiced Thai food. So I'll say, can we make it another place? We usually work it out. So, and that's how we work with other people. Yes. Hey, um, can you talk about how you sponsor and is your approach different for different sponsors? How I sponsor. Uh, in the beginning, I, I give them a guideline. In the beginning, you're going to call me every day, fix a time within a 20, 30 minute period. And um, you're going to tell me what you're reading. This is what a newcomer must do. I want to hear what they're consuming, what they're putting in their body. And if they have a problem with it, tell me. What is the problem? I've never stopped anyone from eating. I can't. I don't have that power. But I'll ask them, do you really want to recover? Or maybe you're not ready. I let people know, if you're not ready, this doesn't work. You have to be ready. It's like learning how to swim. If you stare at the water, you'll never learn. You've got to jump in and get wet. So you do this by actually following the guidelines of a sponsor. 
the people I've sponsored for a long time now, we discuss life. How's life treating you? What are you doing? How's the family? And they'll pick up and go with whatever it is. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I, all I can offer is what was offered me. So what I want to do is get them to open up. That's what a sponsor should really aim for. Get someone to open up. If they can't, <clears throat> excuse me, if they can't, maybe they need a different sponsor. Yes. I want to know, how old were you when you started having problems with food? And what caused it in your mind? I mean, what's the, what, what do you feel caused you to reach for food at that age? I never had problems with food. I mean, I was very young and I was fat. I was heavy. I mean, I used to think gravy was a beverage. My, my grandmother used to offer me food. We ate very often in my grandmother and grandfather's home and offered me food. And I was doing her a favor by eating it. Because I knew she made it and she had a big smile and said, oh, wonderful, good. And my mother would say, don't give him any more. And I would take it to make my grandmother happy. So that's a problem. But I didn't know it. I was a kid. And then later on in the day, I'd wonder, how come I can't have anything now? So I'd go out and buy it. So as far as the age a problem begins at, it begins when your weight starts escalating and you know you can't keep your hands away from your face. That's the simplest form of abstinence. Keep your hands away from your face. Yes. If you think you have to love everyone in program, you haven't gone to enough meetings. <laughs> there are definitely people in program that I'm not attracted to and don't want to be close to. I don't understand what they're talking about. And I avoid them. It's as simple as that. I avoid people that I feel are not good for me. For whatever reason. Whatever they say, however they say it. I stay away from people that are advice givers. I don't want advice. If I really want advice, I'll ask an expert in the area that I'm looking for. Whether it be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant. But... I have to stay away from people. I cannot mix with absolutely everyone and be everyone's friend. We can't do that. We're all individuals. But we have a common bond. And the bond is to get better, not worse. So I don't mix with absolutely everyone. Not everyone is good for me. They're good for other people. But I have to make that based on a feeling that I have inside. The steps should be used on a daily basis. I have to remember, I can't lie, because I'm going to have to make amends for the lie. I can't even lie to myself. Damn. <laughs> and, and sometimes I have to be nice to someone who's not the nicest person to me. I'll get out of their face and go away, but I'm going to be nice to them because 
I'll hurt myself. So the steps are something that's living on a daily basis. I have character defects. I don't like to make amends. So if I don't screw up with a character defect, I don't have to make the amend. That's wonderful. I have to keep my mind clear. That's step 10. When I have nothing to do, I can sit down and meditate and pray. And that's step 11. If someone needs help, I could do work step 12. The praying and meditating is a very interesting thing. I never know how to do it. I was embarrassed to ask how to do it. And my sponsor said once, he said, Ken, go in a room where no one will bother you like the bathroom. Sit down and look at your watch and watch it go around for 60 seconds. That'll be a long time. And he's right. When you're staring at a watch, 60 seconds is a long time. But you know what? It settles me down. It makes me quiet. And something will bubble up inside and I'll be able to move on forward. So I, med- I meditate sometimes when I'm driving. Never had an accident from doing it. And sometimes when there's a driver I don't like and he's doing something and he'll wave at me with one finger. And I, w- <laughs> I wave back, you know, hi. Now he can wonder about who I am. So I do these things because I learn that the steps are living. And this is the only way to proceed in life. Yes. I have, that's a very interesting question. I had one sponsor who, after several years, I moved to Phoenix. When I came back, he was gone, and I had a sponsor in Phoenix. Then I came back, and I had two sponsors here, and again, one moved away. And I call people in program with recovery, long-term recovery, can be my sponsor. I'll call up someone during the day when someone's running around in my head, and I'll talk to them about whatever's going on. But I don't have one single sponsor on a daily basis, as I did in the early days of program. With God's help, in November, I'm going to take a candle for 40 years. That's a miracle. I I don't understand it because when I was first in program, a woman got up in a meeting and took candle for five years. And I said to myself, five years of what? I didn't understand. So I talk to many people. Uh, Some of them are in this room. And sometimes when I'm talking to them, they don't know that it's therapeutic for me to be able to hear their voice. But this is what it has turned into. Just as I said, I don't commit my food. I eat what's on a plate in front of me. My wife makes it. And you know what? Years ago, she started making food on a lunch plate. And we used to go to other people's homes and I said... The plate's so much larger there. And she says, oh, that's a dinner plate. I serve you on a lunch plate. My first thought was anger. (laughs) And the second thought was I thanked her and hugged her for doing it. Because you know what? I'll never starve to death. None of us will. I just didn't like the idea of what she was doing. So I have many people in my life today. That includes all of you. And I call anybody anytime. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about how your relationships have improved and which character defects are still bugging you and, and hard to remove? Relationships uh, are, is a very big issue. I didn't know how to bring up children because I never had them before. So that was an experience and a learning experience. 
then I understood they're going to become somewhat close to what my wife and I am. And that was when I was in program. And those relationships got better. My relationship with my wife, much closer. My relationships with people I don't know, when I meet them, I'm, I'm being as cordial as I can, and then I let go. I don't want to be everyone's friend. I don't want everyone to be my friend. But the point is I want to get through a day being close with people that have something to say to me or something I have to say to them. And then I let go. It's a letting go process. There's nobody out there that can solve my problems other than God. And I ask God for help. I still, I still do. My wife hears me do the Pinocchio prayer when a star comes out at night. You know, star bright, star lights, first star you see tonight. I say that and my wish is always the same. Help me to maintain my abstinence. That's the bottom line. If I lose my abstinence, I'm going to lose my life. So I have relationships with a lot of people, some closer than others. And it's supposed to be that way. We don't marry everyone. You pick out one. <laughs> same thing with friends. I can't be everyone's friend. And so it's easier than it used to be. And my relationships are a lot warmer, I feel, than they used to be. Yes. I haven't had. I don't order it, and I don't get it in the house. Now, again, I'm not black and white. A hundred percent. I'll eat a salad, and I'll break off a piece of crust to move around the end of the salad. That's a piece of crust. But. I don't eat meat. I lost my taste for it. That's one of my changes. I used to go home at night after work knowing I was going to have some kind of red beef dinner and look forward to it. And today, it does not call me. It's been lifted. The bread thing has been lifted. The sugar thing has not been lifted. I go into people's homes, especially what we just went through. Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, New Year's. I call that the... Uh, I forgot what I call it. The three... Uh, right. Bermuda Triangle. Right. And it's all celebrated with food. So I go into someone's home and they have a big bowl of stuff. And I look at it and say, I could have that. I could have all of it. I just can't have the first one. Now what I'm doing is playing a game with my head. If I don't take the first one, I'm okay. I could have the rest. <laughs> so I want to get out of its line of sight. I go to the other end of the room. I pick out someone and say, how are you doing? Conversation beats food every time. But food is loud, especially when it's some kind of multicolored stuff in a bowl at the holiday time. And you're welcome to have as much as you want. And I can't, because I'll take as much as I want. And that's endless. So I get out of my own way. And sometimes I tell my wife, I say, you know what? It's time to go. Because I'm getting itchy where I am. It's just time to go. Yes. All right, last question. Okay, five minutes. Uh, if you were to look back on your abstinence of 40 years, thank you very much for your recovery. Um, could you talk about sort of in broad five-year chunks what sort of things were going on for you? 
Well, the biggest changes are when I came in and I was much younger, I was working. And I worked for people, some I liked, some I didn't like. But I couldn't aggravate myself with food. But I'd come home and talk to my wife about it a lot. And I talked to other people a lot and I was able to move on. I started out many years ago as a disc jockey in the East. And it migrated into many, many things. And I ended up years later before I retired as an executive with Wells Fargo. What a change. What a trip. But in those periods of time, I was different all the time. And I thank God when I had program. Because without it, it's like going out undressed. I didn't know how to handle myself with people or situations. I spat out something I didn't want to say because I know they'd shut up and go away. And that's what I do. I have better relationships with people. So what has happened over the years, I've become... I guess the word is mature in program, a maturity that I didn't get with age. Not my 10-year-old to 20-year-old maturity, but a maturity of understanding other people better. And I know they can't help what they're doing. So I can hang out with some of you. I can't hang out with others. So my acceptance level increased immensely over the years. And that's what the program is based on. Willingness to change and acceptance of what is. That's what helped me more than anything else. So I still have likes and dislikes, we all do, but I'm much more tempered down than I used to be in the early years. So, I don't know, we have any time? That was your five minutes, you still have three. Three, okay. Yes? There's no particular moment when the light went on. It, it was like a dark room getting light, <clears throat> like daybreak. Things started getting clearer. When I wake up in the morning, I do something I never thought I'd ever do. I pick up four today, I read it. That little page sets the tone for the day. There's no one thing, like when you take a medicine and two days later, whatever ails you is gone. This is a long-term psychic medicine that will build and build it in my body and made me better. So I didn't like being patient. I was never a patient person. <clears throat> Excuse me. But looking back, I'm grateful I was and that I am. Uh, one more. Yes. Well, no, I used to overdose on sugar, bread, and meat. And when I lost my taste for meat, I couldn't eat the dinner. I didn't replace it with something else. I started eating stuff. I never eat fish. I never eat seafood. Uh, I could eat chicken, turkey, or... I didn't replace it with anything. I just had a plate of food and knew this is mine. This is my meal. My food some days are like a prescription. The doctor says, three meals a day, nothing in between. That's my prescription. Lunch is my prescription. So is dinner. So I gave up candy because I couldn't get enough of it. I gave up bread 
because I could eat bread with nothing on it. I used to lust for bread. With nothing on it, just to chew. And by giving it up a day at a time, the feeling slowly left me. Not overnight. I, I didn't stop eating these things in 24 hours. But over a period of my first, second year, I stopped eating them. And that's amazing. So slow change, I think, is the best change. I want to thank you very much for being here this morning because we can't do it ourselves. And we're at a point 